Hello. How are you now? <laughs> not so bad, and you? Uh, not bad. Uh, I so so I, uh, I I I start start our podcast off on that because I I just finished listening to another Aww. podcast and it was and I don't we so we, I don't do this often. Sometimes you're on another podcast. Sometimes I'm on another podcast. I I don't think we we always listen to each other's podcasts. Well, here's the thing, Ben. We we have an open relationship. We do when it when it comes to podcasts. Um, but sometimes you don't want to be creepy. Like you don't want to watch your podcast partner with another, <laughs> another, with, another with another podcast. Right, right, right. And sometimes you do. And and it was I I so so I'm um you and I spoke earlier this week. I think we mentioned this in the last episode too. But uh, you were on uh, an episode of The Incomparable. Uh, with with Jason Snell and and some other lovely people, uh, Casey Liss and two other people who I can't remember their names. Um, but you guys talked about Letterkenny for like an hour and ten minutes, and it was really nice. And I, I have I like I have some interest. I have some interesting thoughts about it. Um, the 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 biggest the uh, the weirdest thing listening to that episode is that um, y- 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 uh, none of you guys are Canadian. And not like, but <laughs> not in a bad way. No, not in a bad way. But it's really interesting being a Canadian, growing mm. up on U.S. television and movies. I mean, ninety-five percent of what I consumed from entertainment was was from the U.S. And then there are these little islands of uh, Canadian things on TV, largely produced in in my youth by. Uh, CBC, the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which is a a crown corporation of the Canadian government, um, but like uh, Kids in the Hall, uh, it, which we we've talked about on the show in the in the past. One of my favorite shows um, uh, of all time, uh, a, a show called The Newsroom, that was made by uh, Ken Finkelman, who who is this uh, just you know comedy writer, but but just it really dark, and and then uh, as as I have. Um, as I've gotten older, uh, I, I, I have rewatched a lot of those and, and, um, there, there's a, there's a, there's a few, but it's so much of what made them endearing is that they were not American, Like, like that they were talking about Tim Hortons and they had my, my accent or maybe not my accent, but an accent that there was, that I could recognize as someone who, who was from Newfoundland or, or whatever. And Letter Kenny is, is very much like that, but it's really interesting listening to um, five people talk about it who are not Canadian. Like it's, it, I've never really thought about you know some of the you know some some of the uh, the 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 things that that I that I pick up on because I'm Canadian that, that you guys might not pick up on, but not in a not in like a dumb I don't know in a, in a weird way. But also, do we, do we do we steal valor or appropriate no, your culture? No, no, no. It was and it's it's like it was really the the most interesting part of the of the episode was just listening to to five Americans talk about a really Canadian thing, and it was. <laughs> Like it, it's like that never happens. That it's not it's not a thing that we that 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 me as a Canadian I'm really uh, I I'm I'm used to. I, it's usually there's five Americans and a Canadian talking about an American thing. So right, right. It's, it's real. Yeah. Um. It, it's really. It, it was really interesting. So the um. <laughs> so now now we'll we'll clearly link to this episode uh, in in show notes and and folks should listen to that episode as a companion to this discussion. Um. But so 
one thing, and and Jason Jason talked a little bit about this. Jason's now the the host. Um, mentioned early on in the podcast that he grew up in in you know a rural setting on a on a farm with with cows, and so there was some of this that that felt familiar to him. The mm-hmm. thing that I and I I, I told I've told you this before, um, and then when you were going on the show, I, I mentioned the thing that that is really hard for me to really even communicate is that I identify people in my life. Like I can put names to people who are McMurray. Like, like, <laughs> like, it's not like, Oh, I know someone like McMurray. Like I know McMurray. I know McMurray. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it, it's very like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, we, we've talked about other shows that we like, right? Like the, like the wire. <laughs> I, right. I don't know Omar. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know McNulty. He did. He did. He did. But, but I don't know McNulty. You know, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I, I, there, there is, in, in fact, I, and I, I didn't realize this until I, I listened to this, to this podcast. I don't think that there is another show or entertainment that I've consumed where I feel like I, I know the, I know them. I know the culture. Like I, and, and again, I, I, I'm not even probably articulating it well. It's not like I know someone like that, but I, I, I went up to high school with five McMurrays mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and they're, and, and and they they're not a, it's not a caricature of them. Like 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 McMurray is 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 that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, it's it's weird. Like you like d- does that when when you're viewing Letterkenny, <laughs> do you do you know that these are real people or like do you know you know what I mean? Like does that. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, no, no, I would say absolutely not. No, these I, these are these are people that I've come to like care about and to love for all of their weirdnesses. But, but no, there is not, I mean, you know, we had, we had Hicks in, in Ithaca, right. Um, but they were not like these Hicks and we had hockey players in Ithaca, but they were not like these hockey players. Right. And, and so, yeah. And so for sure this, and, and yeah. And, and so for sure we did not have, there are, I did not grow up with five McMurray's. (laughs) And it's, it's so like, it, it's what captured me with the show in the first place and, and going, going all the way back to, um, like watching letter kidding problems clips on, on YouTube is that someone who I went to high school with shared it on Facebook, probably in like 2011 or something. And was like, this is where we live. <laughs> and, and I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, it is. And then I would just watch them over and over again. And then it was like, wow, there's going to be a TV show on it. It's like, oh, that'll, that'll probably suck. Um, and then I watched and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly. And, and, and I, I feel th- this is where things are a little different in the way that I view it and, and where Danny views Letter Kenny, because she does not, she, she doesn't view it that way. She's like, this is over the top. I'm like, no, I don't think you, you, you weren't in the circle of people that I played hockey with or the circle of the, you know, people that were in my, in my grade that, that grew up, that lived on farms that were, that were the Hicks. Like, like, it, right. it, you know, it's so it's anyway, I, but I really appreciated that, that episode, that the podcast, I thought it was really, really, really good. And, and it was cool to like, I don't know, to, to hear, to hear people who are equally as excited about um, about a show as I am for for di- different reasons, but also like I appreciate all of that. It was so it was cool. It was really really good. Yeah, and, I, and spoiler spoiler alert for um, incomparable ex- episode five fifty. Um, 
Uh, I think Jason had a really, I mean, and, and obviously, I mean, Jason does a, a ton of different things. Um, is very knowledgeable in so many, you know, in the Apple world and, and all of that, but also the media world. But he, he had a really, I think, a really clever observation about Letterkenny. He put his finger on something that until he said it, once he said it, it was immediately obvious. But until he said it, it's not something that had occurred to me. And he said, Letterkenny is not a sitcom. It's really a sketch comedy show, right? And but it's a but it's but it's the it's the same characters, and they're they're just put into new sketches. But but and again, to a certain extent, and we talked about this on the podcast. To a certain extent, there is character uh, evolution, right? But on the other hand that's not really why it's there. It's really there. So you can just put the, these characters in these weird, um, sketch comedy situations like the Coneheads, yeah. you know, and, and watch what they do. Right. right. You don't really care that they evolve as characters. And in fact, in some ways, and we talked about this a little bit towards the end of the show, it doesn't, I'm really, you know, I get that Wayne doesn't have a girlfriend and then he does have a girlfriend and then he breaks up and then he gets a different girlfriend. But I really, I just I just want Wayne to have experiences where he can be Wayne. I really don't care so much about his love life. And I kind of I kind of feel that the drama that they are introducing, that it seems forced. Right. I mean, that's not it's not a you know, it's it doesn't it's that's not what it's it, the character like the wire is amazing for the, the character development. Right. Like you, you right. see McNulty. Who's not McMurray? He's a different, different person. Um, you see McDulty go through this whole evolution as a person, which is amazing and fascinating, right? But I don't really, I don't really care if that happens with Wayne or not. I just want him to sit there and and be nominally hungover, even though they're the most healthy and with it hungover people I ever, I've ever met, right? Because they're, they're, you know, they're obviously they're actors. They're not really hungover, but, but I mean, like I, the comment I made, like they get in fights and no one gets hurt. Um, <laughs> they drink to excess and they never have hangovers and, and, and it, because it's just an opportunity for them to sit there and riff on something. Right. 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 They're like, they, they construct a, 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 a loose situation that over the arc of a season has some story that, that goes from, you know, episode one to episode six or episode seven. Um, but, but it's not, it's really not about the plot and the arc of the, of the season or the story at all. It's, it's that we, we're going to construct this situation to put them in and then let this sketch happen. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I didn't, I never thought about that until Jason said it. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll steal your, your words, um, on this. Like it's cannot be unseen now, right? Like I can't, right. I, I will, I will only look at the show that way. And it, it, it's so I, 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 I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't want to jump in. Well, I, I mean, I did want to jump in and talk about this today, but also this isn't the uh, companion uh, director's cut of the incomparable episode. I like there's other things I wanted to talk about, but it was like so in my mind. I was like, I gotta, I gotta tell Don right now. Like this is, it's, it's a really um, odd experience hearing others. Like it, it, it what would be kind of crazy and and. If, like is I, I I often think about this like taking my food safety friends or my podcast friends to my hometown for like a week for that we all go on vacation there and and you guys just kind of sit and and it, and just like um, consume what it was like to grow up in Port Hope Ontario <laughs> like uh -huh. but but that so I don't have to I don't really have to do that because I could just give you like twelve episodes of Letter Kenny. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> exactly. Which is, which in, in these pandemic times is probably a safer option anyway. And, and, and probably as much fun as Port Hope, Ontario would be to be there. Letterkenny's probably funny. It's right? way or at funnier. Least, you know, you'd have to wait a long time. Like you, you, there would be humorous things that would happen. Yes. But in Letterkenny, they're all packaged into a, a, a nice tight uh, 25 minutes. <laughs> right, right. I, I guess like the, I, you know, the, the thing that I've, ne- there's no other media that I've consumed that I have that same feeling about. Like, like there's that, that there is this personal weird connection. Like, like Modine's is the, the Walton or the Ganarasca, which are the two taverns, not pubs in Port Hope that are, that are just like Modine's. Like the chairs are the same. Um, right. there's, you know, hockey jerseys on the wall. It, I mean, they, they have constructed just, just from small town, Ontario, the, they like taken all the parts and make them, made them generic enough to fit all the towns, but also personal enough to be like, yeah, that's exactly what it was like for, you know, growing up. So a- anyway, and, and there, what also hits for me is, is that, um, the characters are, they're they're not quite my contemporaries. They're probably ten years younger than I am. You know, somewhere somewhere in that. But but it's clear that we had very similar experiences growing up that that shaped them. Because how like how small town Ontario is exists right now is not exactly the same as that. Like that it's a it's a it's a homage to to what the '90s were in small town Ontario. Right, right. Yeah, anyway, it's it, so fa- it was fascinating. It was fascinating to listen to. I loved it. It was a great episode. You can uh, podcast cheat on me anytime, um, as long as it's uh, around, it's about Letter Kenny or or whatever. <laughs> well, and, and speaking, of, speaking of which, like you, you were recently on an episode on an episode of another show and I didn't, we talked about it maybe via chat, but, but you should plug that because I, and I have not yet listened to that, whatever that was. And I want to go listen to it. Which one is it? I don't know. I, I don't know. You, you said you were on something recently about, I don't know. Uh, I was on, I was on a, um, something called convenience store matters. <laughs> I think that might be that it. That might be it. It was good. It was good. Yeah, we talked about food safety and things. Um and uh and risky or not. Yeah, go check out and in fact I got a I got a nice email from um one of the people from Convenience Store Matters today and and I'll read it. Um it says um, hi, Ben. First, your episode on oh, it's, it's called not convenience. Convenience matters. Convenience matters. Convenience yep. matters yeah. Your episode on convenience matters has been very popular. Thank you for sharing it because I did put it out on the on the socials. Um, if you ever need anything for your show, let us know and we'll get back to you. Also, and this is a, a shout out to us. Um, I just listened to your recent episode about raw mushrooms being potentially risky. I, I rethought my salad toppings. Also, I have a husband like your listener who really doesn't pay attention to yogurt by quote best by dates. So it's good to hear he, he won't expire after he eats them. So we're doing our thing. We probably yeah. might, but not because of the yogurt. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, in, so anyway, I'm a, yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about because it's my show, um, as they all are. Uh, I want I, one thing. I, I had a conversation with a couple of other faculty members in my department about what I do, right? <laughs> oh, like they weren't quite sure. Well, kind of, and and I like and and I I don't know. So I think what 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 you and I are are really good at is that we have a public persona about the things that we do, right? Like this, this is, we have a podcast, we do, we do media. Um, we're, we're often out there, uh, doing like doing extension and outreach presentations, uh, you know, foundationally supported by the research that we're generating, but also 
we, I, I think you and I both connect what we do to other research that's out there, right? Like, like if you go give an invited talk to a conference when we used to go to things in person, um, it, it, it might be, and I've seen you, I'm going to, I've seen you talk a, a bunch of times. And I think one of the, the, the devices that you use in a good way, like, like trying to tell a story is that someone's going to ask you about something and you have three papers that seem somewhat mm -hmm. unlinked together, but the question that they want you to talk about allows you to link those three papers together and, and studies or experiences, but also you're going to connect your three studies to three or four other things out there and then talk about some other bigger question. I don't know if you've ever like, if that's what you think about when you, when you construct your talks, but I, that's how I kind of view what I've seen you do. I, 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 so uh, go ahead, comment, discuss. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, I mean, I do, that is, that is a, a bit the way my brain works. And I have to say, and this is a, I don't think we've talked about this before. Maybe we've talked about this once before on the podcast. So I want to give, I want to give a huge shout out to Joe Frank, who's a retired faculty member from the university of Georgia. And I still remember sitting in Joe's class on fermented dairy foods. And he was a young assistant professor at the time. And he made, and he was very, very passionate and, and very good, cool teacher. Um, and, um, he said, he said, science is about making connections between different things. Like that's what, that's what we need to do as scientists is, is make connections that people have not made before. And so, yeah. And, and I, and that, and that really, that has always stuck with me, obviously to this, I don't remember anything else about his class, except maybe <laughs> I tried to make kefir and it didn't really work that well, but, um, but, but that, that thing, right. And so, yes, so I certainly do like to, to like make those links. And also it's easier to make a talk about what I know about it. If, if there's a way that I can bridge from something that I don't know to something maybe that I do know, or that I feel is, is useful and analogous, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. And, and I think it's really, um, it's really, uh, not useful. It's not the, not the right word. It's, it's, it's effective. It, it's, it's a very effective way and of, of storytelling science. Right, like here, here's a problem that that here's here's a large problem, and and how I'm going to try and address this large problem is I'm going to tell you about three smaller problems that are related to this larger problem and how I tackled these, and maybe it's two, maybe it's four, whatever, and then that you know it, it is different than like it, it is it, and I I feel like I do the same thing. I think it's I, I'm I'm I am heavier on. I'm, I might tell over And I think <laughs> this is so silly. I think about my talks and seasons like, like, hmm. and, and I think that Netflix and Hulu has, has made me think about this over the last six or seven years. Like, like what I'm going to talk about in 2021 is different from last season where I talked about these three other papers and, and, and at what, and I, I'm, I'm thinking about what that, what, what this season's talks are. Um, and, and, and how, and, you know, like to, to my, my 2020 season talks were, were about, and, and I, you know, I did this, uh, for, um, a, a lecture, um, in, in your department back before the holidays, I in November sometime, just talking about here's what we know about consumer food safety and here's how COVID has changed it and hasn't changed it. And, and that was, that was last season's talk. This season's talk is going to be something, something different, um, because there's going to be more data coming out about, um, 
uh, about about COVID and, and food coping, that's going to be a, sort of the centerpiece of the things that I'm going to talk about because there's going to be outputs and all that kind of stuff. But but I, I think about um, uh, trying to tell a, a historical picture and then placing my small data sets into that. And I, the, the, not all the research that I that I do or that I co-author papers on makes it into the season, but it becomes part of the like thing that I could pull out depending on the on the specific um, on the specific audience. But I think I'm heavier in um, telling like y- using data from other papers, similar to what we do on on this podcast and Risky or Not, where where it's not always about the stuff that we're generating. In our in our lives, but we're we're going into the literature to try and answer the the questions, and um, so so I I th- I think really um, so go, going back to what got me on this on this path is that I, I had this conversation with with a couple of faculty members because they they were interested in how like how do I do this like how, and and this being like how do you how do you do a podcast but not how do you make a podcast but how did you Think about making a podcast. How did that fit into the blog that everyone still loves? The just the word barf blog. I think the content no one really mm. knows about. But they're like, ah, oh, that's a great like. So you made a blog called Barf Blog. Um, you you do these podcasts. You do a lot of media stuff, and and you've got a, a group that does a lot of social media behind you. How do you how does that work? Right, like how and and not in a like. What what is it? What what does that day look like? Or what are your what are you planning? Um, as you're doing these things. And, and it's, it's a really, I've found that to be a really hard question to answer because what, what I really am talking about is how do I tell stories? And these are all ways that I am telling the same kind of stories and it's helping me, like it's giving me motivation to go into the literature to learn more so I can have the backing for the story. And it's giving me motivation to generate data so I can answer a question that is needed for the story. Like all that kind of stuff is how I, I, I find myself really, really approaching what I do now. And, and it wasn't, it's, it really wasn't until that, that conversation um, with, these, with these two faculty members that I, that I start to piece it together in my mind. That that's really what I'm doing is just like trying to tell stories. <laughs> Yeah, well, and 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 you and you've told you've told the story about telling stories many times before on the podcast, and I think it's a good one. But but to come back to the original question, like how how do you make a podcast? I would say like how do you how do you write a scientific paper? Well, you don't just start by writing a scientific paper. And again, I'll, I'll think back to an even earlier memory, which is when I was a freshman in college and I was taking Bio One Hundred and One, and we had to write a paper. And, 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 and I did a terrible, terrible job at it, right? Because I hadn't read a lot of papers. And so the thing with podcasts is how how do you make a podcast? Well, I mean, there's the technical aspects, right? Um, uh, and I think I still remember to this day, Chuck Haas asking me about how do you make a podcast? And I sent him uh, the workflow at the time (laughs) and I forget what he said, but it was something like, wow, that's, that's a lot or something. I mean, cause there's a lot of pieces of software and a lot of different things you got to do. And, and yeah, and there's a lot of steps and it's evolved over time. But, but I would say the way that you write a scientific paper is you start by reading a lot of papers. The way to make a podcast is go and listen to a lot of podcasts. And obviously the, this podcast and, and risky or not are, are influenced by the podcasts that I listen to, which tend to not be 
well, it tends to be two white guys talking and looking at the internet, a lot of them, which, you know, so, so, so big surprise. That's how this one turned out too. Um, but also, um, like it's, it's, it's a, it's not a scripted, highly produced NPR radio show that also happens to be something that you can listen to in your podcast app, right? It's a, it's a conversation between two people who care about a thing and who, who want to communicate their interest in that thing and their perspective on that thing to each other. And then perhaps indirectly to the folks that happen to be listening in. Right. And so, so how do, how do you make a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to make a podcast until I did. And, and before I was a podcast maker, I was a podcast listener and a podcast fan. And, and it wasn't until I'd been doing that for a while. And I've told this, I've told the same story before on this podcast. Like I suddenly could be, Hey, wow. Like not only could I do that, I want to do that. And I think I have a way to do that that is going to actually work. And then, and then when, when something wonderful, like an, an idea for brisky or not comes along and just gets dropped into your lap by one of your, one of your heroes, it's like, Oh, and then as soon as he said it, as soon as as soon as Merlin sent that tweet about about risky or not, I'm like, yes, of course, of course, this is the podcast that we've. That's again nothing against this, but this podcast is great. But we need another podcast that does this other thing. And and I and I just, as soon as again, it's like it's like Snell's comment about about Letterkenny. It's like, oh yes, yes, absolutely, this is a thing, and this is the thing that we need to do, and we need to figure out how to make this, and let's get busy. You know, right, right, and. And it's it's not it's funny it's not thinking about making it right and I and I'll put this into it's not thinking about writing the paper or doing the research or making the 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 thread tweet tweet thread thread tweet what tweet thread I think it's called um, or making the podcast it's it it is like okay well let me just try and do that let me and and one so here's the one the one thing and i don't know if i gave good advice on this and i this this was in my in my notes that i made for the show today um the, the thing that i wanted to ask you about so one of the faculty members um I, we, I was talking about this and and we didn't get into the mechanics of like you know here we we use um you know here's how we edit it and here's how we we, we everything post everything on squarespace and then you got to get into the itunes store all that kind of stuff none, none of that came up but one one faculty member said to me or you know said in this discussion here's the thing i don't i don't really like podcasts and so i was like at th- this is this is 85% into the conversation and then i thought sort of sat back and i was like well okay, okay you then you shouldn't make a podcast like, 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 and, and, but then I, then I thought a little bit about it and I was like, but maybe you don't like consuming podcasts, but you would like making a podcast. I don't know, but you, you need to figure that out. Like, like it, it is, I, I think if I didn't like, if I didn't like reading papers, I, I certainly wouldn't like writing them maybe, but I, but maybe I just like writing them and, and don't like reading them. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a thing. But, but I also, if I didn't like writing papers, then I shouldn't figure out how to, how to write papers. And you, you know, you like, you know what I'm saying uh, about that? I, so, well, so I, no, I kinda, yeah. Yeah. So my only, my only comment is I would say that that, that is, that is generally true. 
But then there are exceptions, right? Like, and again, I'm thinking about our friend uh, John Roderick, who um, doesn't really listen to podcasts, but and but and probably couldn't make a podcast without some help. But boy, he is a really good guest on a podcast if he has somebody like a Dan Benjamin or a Ken Jennings or a Merlin Mann to um, you know to be his foil, to be his 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 co-host, right? Um, because he's just really good at talking at it. But that, that is a, that is not something like <laughs> there's only one John Roderick, right? There's only one guy that can probably do that. I think that's a very much, that's very much an exception and not, and not the rule. Right. Right. And, and it, but it, but it could be that John, and of course we don't, we, 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 we should ask him, but it could be that he likes, <laughs> It's it's not it's not a podcast that he likes. He likes having a conversation, and he likes oh for sure. And, and he he tells yeah. he tells a he tells a good story, but he needs a he needs someone to talk to about that story to 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 complete the story. Whether someone recorded it and put it on the internet for someone else to consume, it, that part probably doesn't matter to him, other than the fact that it gives him a paycheck every once in a while. Um, well, and th- and that and that's Merlin's thing about Roderick on the line. It's like he had been having these conversations with John for a long time before he realized that he needed to put them on the internet, right? Yeah, right, so, right. And again, yes. so yeah, yeah. So so, but I I didn't know, I I you know I didn't I didn't know what to really how to how to handle that other than say, well, you should try making one, and 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 if you don't like it, then you shouldn't do it. Like you shouldn't do the things you don't like and not, not, you know, and I, that wasn't even really where the, where the conversation went, but I just, I thought it was really like, I, and you know, we, we have talked about this and, and I, 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 the, I mean the, uh, other than, um, this is, it's a podcast about American things that a Canadian talks about and it's a podcast about food. Um, it's also a podcast of, well, you and I would just enjoy talking to each other regardless. And, and so, so having, finding someone who you have, who you want to talk to and have a conversation with about things, right? Like about the subject area, about whatever. And if you think that, that, that people might be interested in listening to that conversation, then you should make a podcast. But I don't think you should make a podcast because other people make podcasts. And no, that's not a good reason to make a or or like don't make a podcast because you think that you're going to get rich making a podcast, right? Oh, that's probably not a good reason to make a podcast. Yeah, and and so I, you know, I talked about um, how things have evolved. Like I would if I if if we started today with like I was brand new um, in, in trying to like build my 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 faculty program, my my brand of what I do. I would I would focus on Twitter. Uh, because that's where my that's where my people are. I wouldn't have a blog. I would I would be much more active, and 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 thinking about you know writing things for for the Twitterverse and and then starting a pod and then starting a podcast that that supports that. And I and I wonder if um, if we had started today, if we start if we need it, like if we have if we if we created food safety talk as it exists today right away or if, if it's if it's something different because i don't know and i am getting a little existential about it but um it, 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 so so like this conversation of like how, how do we how do we do this it's because and this is the part that i'm i'm getting better i think at articulating everything everything i do it supports 
what I might tweet or what we're going to talk about in the podcast, right? Like, like I'm constantly thinking of, oh, someone sent me an email. I should talk to Don about that. Or there, here's a tweet. I should talk to Don about that. Or, and not like I'm going to run this by Don, but I'm like, we could have a good conversation about what's contained in this content or this news story or some experience that I had. And I, and I think that that's evolved for us over the 200 plus episodes that we've done this, that, that I'm, I, I'm I'm constantly it, it, we're never short on content, and I think it's because we are constantly on the lookout for content and what we're going to talk about to each other. So, yeah. yeah. So so and yeah. And so a couple couple of quick quick thoughts here. So, um. Oh yeah. So like, what makes a good risky or not? Like, I I didn't know what made it would make for a good risky or not when we started making it. But now that we're getting a lot of questions, I, it's like, oh, that's a good one. Or that's, you know, that's not, that one's not as good. Right. I don't t- ever say that to anybody. I always say thank you very much for listening to our podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate the suggestion. Um, and, and we have so many now. We're never going to get through them all, right? Um, but, but, I, I, but, but I really appreciate that people send us ideas. And, but I, I know almost right away whether it's a good one or not because of how much – like it, it has to be r- rather defined, but it can't be so defined that it's like we just immediately come up with an answer, right? It has to be some some aspect of it that's fun to talk about for ten or fifteen minutes, right? So. Right. But uh, and then and then uh, bre- breaking news: um, the 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 tweet that um, actually inspired the show is deleted because apparently um, Hot Dogs Ladies is now deleting his tweets, oh, well, which is interesting. No, I think um, he, I think he, I think we knew that. Um, he, he said, oh, did we he, know that? Yeah. He goes, he goes back. Cause he, uh, every, he mentioned this on, on a, on a show that every once in a while he goes back and just like clears house. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wish I'd known that cause I would have screen capped it. But the good news is that, um, a friend of the show, uh, Todd Vaziri does not do that. Uh, and, and so the, the tweet thread with Merlin's deleted tweet in is still there, but I've got to, I've got to update our, our website. So anyway, cool. Well, um, okay. So let, speaking of, of Todd Vaziri, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, really good segue. Um, nice segue. Yeah. Jesus. I, 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 we couldn't have planned that better. We could not have. But I was going to tell you about um, stuff that I've been doing at home with my kids. Uh, we we are, at their request, um, we we have re-delved into the Star Wars universe. Um, and this is a, because of their the, the children's... Uh, um, uh, preoccupation and obsession with the Mandalorian. Both of them said, I know we used to watch all of the star Wars uh, movies. We, we didn't really understand them. <laughs> so could we watch them again? Right, right from the start. Episode one, Jar Jar Binks, um, go, going back way, way back in time, well, watching them in, in the, the numerical order in the new, in the chronological order. Uh, so, so well, if, well, chronological by when they occurred in time, not correct. chronological by when they were made. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Chronological according to the, to the time and space continuum in the star Wars universe. Um, and, and so it has been lovely. Um, and I, and I say that it's been lovely because I, and I, I, um, a friend of the show, well, a uh, friend of mine, friend of the show, someone who you've met uh, through uh, Food Covenet, my friend Andy Bender, who is uh, a risk communication researcher here at NC State. Um, he and I, uh, back when we could go places, we used to go to a lot of hockey games together, hang out. He is a big Star Wars fan, and we, we've we talked about, like, we I, I think we saw episodes 
eight and nine together with with the kids. Uh, and and so I, I was texting with Andy and I was like, I, I have a new appreciation for these movies. I saw them as filler to the to, you know the wet wet my appetite for the other ones. But now rewatching them with the kids and the fact that they're making connections like they they did with the um, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and and that they're they're like hearing these words and I'm explaining like Galactic Senate stuff that I didn't really pay attention to too much because I didn't really you know they weren't my favorite movies but now I've got to figure out who's who and what are these connections and what's going on on the internet about this it's been really lovely it's been nice we so we've been doing this um we we are now we're we're not watching all the movies because they're long and so maybe about 7 38 o'clock uh in the evening we'll watch an hour and a half of a movie so we we did uh the last half of solo uh yesterday and started rogue one uh last night so we're right in between um uh, episode three and, and episode four a new hope but but anyway the reason why the segue to todd vizier is that you know i i, I know uh, i i don't know i know don't know todd we've we've interacted a little bit on the internet um, but I know him through the, through the podcast world. Um, it, it, he worked on these movies and that I told my kids, I'm like, Hey, this guy who I've, <laughs> who I like know of from Twitter. So I, I, yeah. he, here's the thing, Ben. I refer to these people as my friends from the internet. Yes. Yes. My friends from the internet. Um, he, he worked on this and, and was like made, made the art, the really pretty stuff and, and, and some of the, the CGI and, and I don't know all the particulars of what Todd did, but I could just tell from, from his Twitter bio and then looking at his website that he worked on these movies and that blew my kid's mind. Like, like yes. that, that just, we're watching this thing and it's such an epic story that, that is the center of so, so much, right? Like in, uh, in, in just popular culture, they're like, wait, you know, someone who worked on this? I'm like, well, no, but I know him from the internet. And, <laughs> and so, so anyway, that when you, when you mentioned Todd, I looked up and sort of told them about all, like, now we're going back and being like, well, Todd Rosario, we looked on these ones and was, you know, won an award for this thing. And they're like, oh, we got to go to that, that part of the, 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 uh, the movie where he, the, the, the award part, we got to know why this is so good. And so it's cool to have that, like, they are old enough now to think about all the things outside and behind a movie and and are following the plot. So so my experience in watching Star Wars with them four years ago is drastically different than it has been this week, which has been really oh, cool. It, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. It's been fun. It's been a little, yeah. And Danny has no interest in, in Star Wars. Uh, so she has been um, watching uh, a show called Outlander, which I have no interest in because I, it always sounds like she's watching Braveheart. I think the premise of the show as she explained to me, there's a, a woman who is transported back in time from 1920s to like the 1700s in Scotland <laughs> and, and people get their arms cut off. That's that, that is, I've walked in on, on her watching the show, which is, this is not her like tip. If, if I was to predict, would she watch the show? I would predict no, but she is very invested in it right now. So uh, yeah, so so for so people following along at home with the data on our show, um, I'm not watching Outlander, but my lovely wife is. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> yeah, this um, this seems familiar. 
Um, but I think I'm confusing it with Highlander. That's what it is. I'm confusing it with Highlander. <laughs> I don't know. I think it might be the same. <laughs> I don't know how different it is. Outlander, Highlander, I'm not sure. But yeah, anyway, she's, uh, oh, here you go. No, Hi- Highlander, I think, is a person that that uh, is in Scotland and um, uh, but is immortal and doesn't die. I, I, maybe <sighs> there she encounters the dashing Highland warrior, Jamin Fra- J- Jamie Fraser, and becomes embroiled in, a, uh, in the Jacobite Risings. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, I, I can't make a recommendation. Yeah, on I'm Outlander. thinking of Highlander, which Highlander, which is a, was a movie. And I think it was a later, it was a, a TV show. Wasn't Sean Connery in Highlander? He was, he was. Yes. Uh, the film chronicles the climax of an ages old war between immortal warriors depicted through interwoven past and present day storylines. Oh, there, there you go. Uh, Sean Connery. Yeah, all right, and it, it does have a television spin-off. All right, yeah. so I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not imagining things, and I, and you can see why, um, you know, if if something is um, in the set in the Scottish Highlands and called Highlander, and something else is set in Scotland and called Outlander, why I would confuse it? And also, they both involve swords and cutting things off people. Yes, and screenshots of Highlander and Outlander all all look like Braveheart. <laughs> they all look the same, exactly. and it looks like Braveheart. So yeah. <laughs> Exactly, which uh, is a, d- a completely different movie, right? Uh, by Mel Gibson, who's who's canceled. He's canceled. We, yeah, Mel's out. Mel's out. Um, yeah. So so anyway, that's that's what's that's what's going on in in uh, in the stuff of of food safety in 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 my world. We, uh, I, I got some other stuff I wanted to ask you about. There's a there's an outbreak going on that's of uh, my my favorite. And this is good though, and uh, we'll we'll get into this a little bit later. But um, of unknown source, there's another unknown source outbreak. Yeah, and I want to I want to play uh, FDA B CDC plus with that, be, uh, which I which I emailed to you because I, I I'm curious to your perspective on the CDC communication on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's come back to that for that for that segment or bit as it's known. yes. Um. So, but here's uh. Let's go into FST next. I sent a or not sent. I I, I put a, sc- a screenshot into the um into the thing that we do, but I'm going to give it to you the other way too, which is on, on our super secret text chat. Um, and it's, uh, entitled urgent <laughs> fix it safe question. Um, and I want to, I, 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 this isn't, um, this is one that we can dither and equivocate about. So I want to, I, I got an email last night about, um, a, a, a question and, and, and when, and I, Don, when you when you make us think about um, making sure that food safety information is included in recipes, that when someone tries to write a recipe and wants to write food safety information, but it's confusing, then you get to deal with it. I'm just telling you that that's yeah. I, I'm I'm (laughs) yes. If you didn't, you'd be a jerk. Right, and and so so and I'm I'm I am happy to to help um, manage this. So so here's. Um, I'll read this email, um, redacted, uh, and, and we'll protect the, the innocent, um, on this. Uh, but, uh, there's, um, someone who's here at NC state who does a lot of work in, um, nutrition and does a lot of work in developing recipes that are both nutritionally sound, um, but also are for, um, uh, uh, low income, uh, families, and and it's part of a, a larger uh, set of programs that that are federally funded. <laughs> That's the most vague way that I can say that this person works with the FNAP program, which is the expanded food and nutrition education program. So I get an email about um, wanting to add 
a vegetarian option to one of the recipes that they have in their program, and it's a mini meatloaf recipe. And so um, the, the idea was uh, this individual is going to take a quinoa, and so stay with me on this, Don, a quinoa pinto bean burger. And so there's a recipe on uh, that, that you can click, click through uh, on this. In these burgers, we've got pinto beans. Um, we've got some quinoa. Uh, some cumin, coriander, cayenne, a carrot, um, some breadcrumbs, whole wheat flour, um, and some oil. And, and essentially, the, the idea is adapting that recipe for these burgers, making it into a meatloaf. And so the fact that I've, I've been out there and sort of um, really, really pushing, if we're going to tell people that are we going to give them steps on how to cook something that we need to include food safety steps that, that now here, here comes the question that you're all waiting for. The, the person asked me what temperature should I tell people to cook this quinoa pinto bean meatloaf to? And the, um, she, she points out a really like, you know, uh, real, you know, problem here, which is, uh, she looked at several recipes. Uh, if you look at frozen bean burgers on the market, commercially available frozen bean burgers, many of them say cook to 165. Um, USDA does not actually list any information about if we look at sort of the um, you know, the foodsafety.gov or the Partnership for Food Safety, the the group that um, comes up with messages to um, to to sort of highlight here are temperatures that we should be cooking things to. Um, there isn't anything specific to like, you know, obviously not a quinoa pinto bean burger, but not a whole lot out there on non-meat fish or egg dishes. And so 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 where where the question kind of came was, um, are we uh, are, should we say you should cook this to 165, which is what bean burgers on the on the commercial uh, commercially available say, or is it a, is there a different temperature? And yeah, can confirm this. Give me some help. So so anyway, what what are your what are your initial thoughts on this? Well, my initial <clears throat> my initial reaction is it certainly doesn't need to be cooked to 165 because this is all vegetable protein, right? So absolutely does not need to be cooked to that temperature. And again, I, I'm not looking at the recipe, but my understanding is you would cook these ingredients and then you would combine them into a burger and then you would cook the burger. You would quote unquote cook the burger. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to cook the beans first. Yep. Right. Um, but you're not going to cook the um, the flour first. So we've got some. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So sorry, I should pay, I should pay no, closer okay. attention. So, yeah. um, right. So really what we're talking about is what is a recipe for safe cooking of flour, right? Because so tell, so tell me the and ingredients again. And there's an egg in here. I didn't mention Oh, that. there's an egg. Yeah, oh, okay. Egg. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, so we okay, got, sorry. No, it's okay. I, it's okay. I'm really not paying attention. And, so. and I didn't mention egg before. So that's not, that's on me, not you. So, so I've got, um, canned beans. I've got some spices. Um, okay, so let's so let's go through the list. Okay, yeah. can canned beans. Um, they should come out of the can sterile. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Spices. Okay. Um, high high bacterial load, but low volume addition. And yep. so we don't really worry about generally about when we're making dishes. We don't worry about designing cooking directions to handle the spices. So we'll we'll set those aside for now. Yep. Okay. A, a carrot. Um, okay. 
Um, so again, um, probably we don't have, you know, we don't have mandatory cooking directions for carrots. It could be contaminated with pathogenic bacteria, but we don't commonly give people advice about, about that. So, right. so, so, all right. Same for carrot. Yep. Same carrot that I would be totally fine to eat raw, right? Raw. Like, exactly. Yep. Uh, onion, minced onion. Uh, uh same, same as the carrot, yep. right? You're going to want to cook that for flavor. Uh, but, but again, we don't typically have people cook onions for safety. Yep. Uh, Although what? again, onions can be can be linked to sure. outbreaks, but sure. but again, yep. don't use recalled onions in your burger. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I think on that one, like with the carrots and the, and the onions, this is the thing that that when it comes to risk, we always have to think about. Um, is it is it possible that they're contaminated? Yes. Is it likely? No. I mean, we just don't have a whole right. lot of history of of these two types of foods um, leading to to illnesses. So so yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. So then there's an egg, okay. So we got an egg, okay. some salt, some pepper, some flour, a tablespoon of flour, not very much, um, uh, half a cup of whole wheat breadcrumbs, some cooked quinoa. So okay. uh, again, so, bre- so bread. So only things we've identified that are problematic so far are are the egg and the flour. Yeah. So uh, quinoa, it's going to be cooked, right? Yep. That's and it. And bre- breadcrumbs is already they've already been baked. Yep. Yep. And then the oil that's going to be used in the to to fry it. Okay. Uh, so. So really, it's it's really about the cooking directions for egg or for flour. Yes. Okay. So, um, and then you know, really, and again, I suspect if you go online and you look for, I don't know, are there cooking directions for temperature for eggs? There is. Okay. So CDC says to cook egg dishes to 160 degrees. Okay. So, so I think the, the lazy answer is we point to CDC and we say cook to 160 degrees because this is quote an egg dish unquote. I, yep. I, I agree. Um, and, and we don't have, so when it comes to flour uh, as for, for example, I don't think we have a temperature for, um, for like safety. Let me look flour, safe temperature. No, but I'm, but I'm going to suggest that whatever, but that yeah. flour is going to be covered by the egg to 160. Yes. And it, in fact, in, that is what FDA says is to cook your flour to 160. Right. So, so I get, and, and this is where, where things get a little bit like messy, right? So yeah. commercially, someone is looking at 165 as, as a, as a temperature for these burgers and I, I did a little bit of work talking back and forth with some companies who are going to use plant-based meats like um, Impossible Burger and what's – there's another one, right? Like there, there's two sort yep. of competing ones out there and there's a bunch of others. And where things kind of landed on this for th- – this was for um, uh, a, 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 a major quick service restaurant who you all would recognize. Yep. And and they – so so – um, the person who works for this this company said, what temperature should we cook these to? And I said, what temperature does the people who are selling you the burgers tell you should cook them to? And they said, um, well, for best quality, they, they want us to cook it to like you know, 165, I think it was. So, okay, but what about for safety? Because that's what you guys are concerned about. She's like, well, they're not really telling us. Um, they, they don't have validated data that they can share us on safety. So where they, I think they ended up landing was 
because we cook all of our burgers that are beef to 160, we're also going to cook our Impossible Burgers to 160 because it's easier for us to communicate that to our staff. Yep. Um, is that too much for safety? Maybe, probably, but but that the the decision wasn't based on uh, a you know a seven log reduction of salmonella if it happened to be in the in the meat. And I think right. that's where this 165 on the commercial bean burgers comes from because there's not a I, there's not a temperature requirement for it. It's uh, you know, if I think back to how FDA would want, and and you know, we've got some some former uh, retired FDA folks that listen to this podcast that can that I'm sure I'm sure will email us afterwards about it. Um, uh, that that I I think that the way that FDA looks at this as it, you need to put a validated cooking instruction on here, you validate it, co- company, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's probably easier for a company to say uh, 165. <laughs> Right, like that's it's way it's high. It's it, it it's not gonna it's probably not gonna be more than that. So let's just say it's one sixty five, and we'll just go with that. But I think it's less from a safety standpoint. Right. Well, and what and what I would say, you know, and this is where it gets <clears throat> complicated, right? Because we know we've talked about before that for years USDA FSIS had poultry cooking temperatures that were really high mm-hmm. um, because that was what you needed for quality and and people got confused about that and so they made them now be lower but then if you follow those directions then you're not going to like the product that comes out because you're cooking for safety not for quality and so the the way to really like let, let's say let's say for the sake of discussion that i really like these kind of burgers and i wanted to make them in my home on a regular basis well i would make a bunch of them uh try to control the the thickness as, as best possible right to get a uniform product and then i would cook a bunch of them i would i would cook some to 150 i would cook some to 155 i would cook some to 160 165 i would i would try to use a data logger so i could see the carryover right like if you if cuz you can cook to 150 but if you take it off the heat there's going to be some carryover cooking also while you've been talking i've been looking at USDA FSIS Appendix A, the new updated Appendix A, and there's a whole bunch of charts in there for different times and temperatures, and it turns out the fat content makes a difference. But again, these are all um, uh, cooking directions to get a seven-log lethality, and I mean, I, you, I, don't, I, I don't know if you can get seven, you probably can get seven logs in an egg if you try really hard. Um, but again, they're in the range of 160 to 165, depending upon the fat content. Um, you know, and, and so probably 160 is going to be fine for most of the time and maybe 165. And if, if, if from a quality point of view, 165 gives you a better product, then, then the directions are 165. I would say use the directions to be 165, but, but then again, and this is where it gets complicated because in, in an ideal world where we're, everybody listens to this podcast and we can communicate with people in detail, we'd say, well, we think the risk is relatively low. You're probably safe if you cook it to 160, but we think you're going to like this better if you cook it to 165, um, which is probably a nuance that's lost on almost everybody except for those people that listen to this podcast. Right, right, right. And and, and so, oh man, this is this is why I wanted to to talk to you about it. So so, I, you know, it, let's 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 assume that we've got 160 for for our eggs, right? 
and and saying, okay, there's Salmonella and Teridotus. It's just rampant in these eggs, which is not realistic. But because and we've talked a lot about sort of the the changing risk of of Salmonella in eggs. But let's let's just let's make worst case scenario. You got Salmonella and Teridotus in in these eggs. Now, an egg on its own, like a if I think about a hard boiled egg, or if I think about a soft boiled egg, or a poached egg. Um, or even a, a, um, a sunny side up egg, I, I gotta think that it's different than if I take that egg and I mix it into this mixture of a whole bunch of other things, right? Like, so let's say there's a bunch of salmonella. Now I've spread the salmonella through what is mostly plant. It's no longer about the egg, right? In this, making this quinoa uh, pinto bean um, uh, situation. Um, and so I, I don't, I think 160 is even too, um, uh, too conservative. I, I, hmm. I, and, and so I just sent you a, a paper that I want you to look at mm-hmm. the abstract cause this is what we do. Yep. And this is, uh, a journal of food protection paper from 2000 factors influencing inactivation of salmonella enteritis in hard cooked eggs. It, the final temperature. So this is, um, the, uh, looking at, um, inactivation, the final temperature of the yolk in the eggs was 62.3 plus or minus two degrees Celsius, which 60. So let's say, and, and I think if, if I look, if I read this correctly, they were getting a, some log reduction somewhere. Um, the PT force survived in yolk at 10 degrees. I don't know. So anyway, at 62 plus or minus, uh, four two gets us to sixty four degrees Celsius, right? Right. That is not one hundred and sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Nope. That is that is one hundred and forty three. Yeah, give one, or take. Yeah, so sixty two is one forty three. Sixty four is one forty seven. It's less than one fifty. Less than one fifty. Right. Yeah. So even there, I think we're being conservative about the one sixty because it's about like. Yeah, I don't know. This it gets into it, it. It's this one's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's somewhere in between one thirty five and one sixty five. And I think, like you said, the easy way to answer this is we'll just say one sixty five. But I think scientifically, it's less than that. And I and we we I, I think we could construct a bunch of data to get a more accurate um, uh uh, recommendation that is based on this type of food and the size of the the meatloaf um, that that they're making, but I but but I, I like I know, and this is the the fun part about you and I and what we do. I know all they care about is just tell me is it one fifty, one sixty, or one sixty five, or one thirty five. I don't really care how you arrived right. at that. Just tell me what it is. Tell me the tell me the number. Just give me the right number. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and in terms of and so sorry, I, I was talking about burgers and and this is about meatloaf, but I mean that yeah. actually just makes it easier because you you probably have more carryover cooking on a meatloaf, and yeah, and this is an interesting paper. We'd have to actually dig into the paper because they don't they give you the starting concentrations and then they do say that the PT four Salmonella strain survived in yolk of extra large eggs initially at ten degrees C when the eggs were held in boiling water nine minutes using method two. Right. Okay. <laughs> 
Right. And so, so, and so what, and again, this is typical, this is typical food microbiology, um, you know, where, and, and this is, you know, my, my hero, Larry Bouchard, he's not a quantitative microbiologist, right? And so they're looking at survival of salmonella. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a seven log reduction, right? It's, it's a, it's a probably, they found it by enrichment or they, maybe they didn't even try to enumerate because the levels were low. And it's, and again, this is the, this is the, the food safety thinking um, of, you know, that's not the kind that we do on this podcast where we're, we're trying to be quantitative and risk-based. And they're like, well, using this method, you had some salmonella left when you inoculated at 10 to the 7th. So, therefore, this is a risky method. Well, well yeah, right. I'm not sure I agree. So, but that's fine. I mean, we've got data. And then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that the inactivation kinetics for salmonella in eggs – is probably not the same as the inactivation kinetics in eggs in this meatloaf. Yes, and so yes. really what you'd need to do is you need to inoculate some eggs and then make some meatloaf and then and then cook that meatloaf at, under various conditions and then look and see what survived. But again, that decision, and, and longtime listeners of this show will know this, there, is, there, there isn't a scientific way and this will, we can maybe we can segue into a little bit of thawing talk, but there isn't there isn't a scientific way to defend one number. The number is a risk management number that is based on assumptions about the starting concentration. It's based on kinetics. It's based on tolerable the the risk at the end that you're willing to tolerate, right? Um, and so that the cooking temperature is a risk management decision. It's not a risk assessment decision, although we were talking about how risk assessment can inform the decision about what that number should be. Um, but, but it's, there's a bunch of assumptions before you can come up with a cooking temperature, you have to make a bunch of assumptions. Like what's our assumption about the starting concentration? What's our assumption about cooking and the, uh, and, or the inability to cook or cook improperly. And then what is the level of risk that we're willing to tolerate in the end product? Do we want absence of salmonella in a serving? I mean, what's the, what's the denominator, right? Um, all of that's really important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, so here's where I, I, I like arrived at because this like, and I'm I'm gonna go back to the original question, which in this in the um, subject line it says urgent, <laughs> right? All the stuff that that we're talking about here, these are not urgent. Like it's it's not possible to to answer the question the most scientific way urgently. So, um, in, in you know, in without without putting resources into it and and trying to figure this out. So so anyway, we we arrived at yeah. Go ahead and say. 165, but just be ready to say there isn't any, and we're being conservative. If someone asks you for scientific justification of why it's 165 and one not 135, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, it's 165 makes a lot of sense for a variety of reasons, but it's not really scientifically defensible, or at least it's not scientifically defensible on an open quote urgent close quote timeline. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so you want, a, you want an urgent answer? It's 165. Yeah. You want a more nuanced answer? Well, you know, come back when you got more time. Exactly. It, and it's it's probably somewhere in between 147 and 155, right? And but does it matter too much to you when you want this urgent, you know, message? And and in some cases, in, in, this is the like you 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 nailed something that we continue to talk about and and it comes up over and over again this is a risk management decision right so the so the most the the conservative with the data that we have in hand risk management decision we're not often 
um, uh, making risk management decisions. But in this case, I'm I'm asked to help make a risk management decision. The the easy, quick, conservative risk management decision is just tell them to cook it to 165. And and right. yeah, and 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 that that that's where that's where we kind of arrived at it. But it, it you know. I, I like when this question came in, I thought, you know, just like we were talking about how we construct the podcast before, I thought this is the type of conversation I want to have with Dawn uh, about yeah. why this is, it's not as simple as is it 165 or not? Well, and it reminds me of my, one of my favorite sayings of all time, quick, cheap, and done right. You can pick two. <laughs> you, you pick two, I'll tell you the third one, right? <laughs> right, right. Quick and cheap, not going to be done right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lots of Quick limitations. And done right, not going to be cheap. <laughs> done, done right, and and um, uh, cheap, not going to be quick. <laughs> I think that covers all the possibilities. <laughs> this is good. That is the that is the three stool le- uh, the three leg stool of food safety risk management. <laughs> exactly. Um. All right, so you want to talk about uh, our our favorite uh, our fav- favorite segment, Don? Which I'll see if I can get it right. Um, what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm ready. I believe it's called FDA B CDC plus. Yes. Do you know how I got that correctly? You looked at what I wrote to you. Yep, I did. I just read it. I just I straight up read it and and tried not to think about it in my head. Don't don't think about the letters. Don't think about the words that are behind the letters. Just read what Don wrote. FDA B CDC plus. Okay, so here here's what we're gonna here's what we're gonna talk about. Um, posted February second. Um, so this is this is hot off the press. Um, it is a CDC. So this is this is from the um, uh, CDC plus part of FDA B CDC plus uh, CDC notification of an E. coli outbreak with unknown food source posted February second. Um, fast facts: sixteen illnesses, nine hospitalizations, one death, five states recall. No, why is there no recall? Don well, it's re- C head- heading which says unknown source. We don't know what to recall. <laughs> um, but let, let's read through the investigation details. Um, and, and how I got to the investigation detail is actually part of FDA uh, B, CDC plus. So, so there are, um, I, I want to note that you received an email about this from a, a group of people, uh, and, but it came from CDC initially. And they said, um, this is the first time we're using our new web template that is designed for mobile viewing and is written in plain language. Please send any feedback about the new web template to me. And uh, that it, I will name redacted. So, so I access this and I continue to access this, Don, through the web template. Are you, have you done the same? I believe I have. Okay, good. Because I, I think it's part of the story here. Um, oh, I agree. Uh, so, um, so, so here we are. Uh, I'll read uh, when, I, when I click on the part about investigation details. Uh, posted February 2nd. Um, CDC and regulatory officials in several states, the U.S. FDA and U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, FSIS, are collecting different types of data to identify the food source of a multi-state outbreak of E. coli 0157H7. As of February 1st, a total of 16 people infected with the outbreak strain have been reported from five states. 
Uh, there is a map that you can click to that shows where sick people live. I will do that. Most sick people live in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Um, there are uh, a total of 11 people uh, there in those two states, uh, two people in Virginia, one person in New York, one person in Washington. So then I can go back. Um, um, illness has started December 23rd to January 7th. Uh, there's a nice uh, uh, also link to when people got sick. Re I mean, really, uh, one person back uh, December 23rd, uh, most recent date, uh, January 7th. In those two-week periods, there's one or two or no illnesses reported. Um, so, so not like a huge spike. Uh, it, it, it just looks like a, a pretty straight line, um, along, along those lines, one or two, and, you know, I, if I was to draw a line here, I think I'm just drawing along an average of one person per day over the 16 days that are listed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, sick people range in age from 10 to 95 with a median age of 31, 88% are female. I think that's interesting. Uh, of the 12 people, uh, with the information, uh, available, nine have been hospitalized. So at least nine out of 16 are hospitalized. It may be higher because we don't have information of on four, three of those three of 11 with information available have developed kidney failure at HUS. So three, uh, uh, let's, let's just say, um, we're looking at somewhere around a quarter of the people that we have info available on have, uh, HUS, which is, which is not great. It's not, it's terrible. Um, wh where's the trace back? What's happening? Uh, well, and here's where we get to the bottom of the, um, the, the information I think is important. Uh, we've got some folks looking at PulseNet, identified stuff, uh, whole genome sequencing. Um, it, it, you know, there's a link to what that is. It showed the bacteria from people's stool samples are closely related genetically. Um, they likely got sick from eating the same food. Uh, whole genome sequencing also showed that this outbreak strain has previously been linked to sources, various sources, including romaine lettuce, ground beef, and recreational water. More information is needed to identify the source of this outbreak. So let's go ahead let's and, and write uh, or write rank rank this in your your thoughts of uh, FDA B CDC plus. I I think it's pretty good. Um, I I don't. Um, I don't know what else I would ask them to do, right? I mean, they, they've been forthcoming. This is early days in, in terms of this outbreak. Wait, let's look at the timeline again. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I mean, early ish days, right? Maybe, and maybe the outbreak is over. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, what, you know, one thing, if I was going to criticize them, um, Sometimes on these um, histograms, these uh, illness histograms, they, they have a range that says illnesses in this range may not have been reported yet. Um, and so so two to four weeks to link illnesses to an outbreak. So we're 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 at the four week range. Right. So we're, we're basically about four weeks out. So maybe this is it. I, it's not a huge outbreak. Um so, so, you know, again, I would like a little, that information. Um, I think the, in the, one thing I don't like about the web page is I have to do, I have to do st too much clicking. I would rather have everything just be on one page, but that's fine. I mean, whatever we, I can live with the clicking. Um, the investigation details are good. I like the fact that they, they said that the WGS showed bacteria from sick people samples are closely related genetically. That means people 
likely got sick from eating the same food. I like the fact that they say it's romaine lettuce, ground beef, and recreational water, which doesn't really narrow it down, right? Um, I, yeah. I think the 88% female is interesting. Uh, I think that the 88% female says it's probably not ground beef and that maybe it's more likely to be a vegetable product. Um, Unlike- but again – Unlikely to be recreational water. It's, it, given yes, given given the the diverse map, um, I think unlikely to be recreational water. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I would, I think I would give it a I think I would give it a B plus. I yeah, I, I like this. I like the. This is the first one that I've really, um, and it was only because it was in the email message that I, I looked at this on my phone. Ah, on mm-hmm. purpose, right? Like right. normally I would not do that. I'm, I'm in front of my computer. I think that the template that they're using is really, really useful on a phone. I'm okay with the, with the click through my only piece that I would like some more. And this is because what, what my lines go, my, my eyes going to is, okay, what's the source? It's unknown. I would love to see links, not only to the, um, the, uh, in, in the investigation update, or sorry, let me go, um, investigation details, they link to Romaine. And so now I can go and say, oh, here's a whole bunch of 0157 infections linked to Romaine, and here's the same whole genome sequence. They don't link to the ground beef outbreak or recreational water. And maybe it's not outbreaks, but I want I want to know more about time frame, location, all that kind of stuff, right? Like they've given they've given me a little bit of information that this is a, uh, a, a you know a common strain. It's not even a common pattern, but there is it, it is some uh, common whole genome sequence of the of the pathogen, and I want to know more about those other ones. So so I I'm I'm gonna give them a. Uh, a, uh, I'm going to give him a B plus as well because I like the template. I like the mobile aspect. I let it, I it really, the biggest thing is, and, and we talked about this in, in the last time we talked about um, unknown source outbreaks that they're releasing information about an unknown source outbreak in somewhat real time, right? Like we, we don't know what the source is, but we think it is important from a public health standpoint that we release this information so people know that this is happening. And I'll tell you that this announcement yesterday triggered two texts for, to me from people who are in the food industry saying, do you know anything more about this? Because I don't know. People think that we know things sometimes. I don't. I don't know anything more about it other than what's in the CDC um, website. And then I texted a couple of people who might know more about it, and they also didn't know anything more about it. Um, but uh, it, it the the fact that we are continuing, that CDC and FDA and USDA are continuing to release stuff when they don't know the source about uh, of a foodborne illness outbreak, um, I, 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 that bumps it up for me. Uh, as well. Like I love that, that new trend. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go B plus as well. I think the only thing for me is just that I want to know more about those, those other outbreaks. Yeah. That, that same thought occurred to me as you could have linked to those. And I did, I did, I did not, I don't know if I, I don't think I look at this on my phone, but I do like the way it looks on my phone. And I understand for purposes of mobile that you want stuff that is modular and that, that and it really looks nice on the phone. So you can actually click through and look at stuff. So it's a, yeah, it's it's good. Mostly, I'm just I just don't like it because I I'm keep clicking through and I want to just link everybody to the main page for, for for the podcast purposes. So mostly, that's just my own personal need. Right. So right. yeah. So this is uh, this is this is this is this is this is pretty good. I this, think yeah. this is also the first time I want to highlight, and this is um, I see it on the website, but I also have it um, 
on on mobile, but I don't think I would use it in the same way. But it's the first time I I remember seeing CDC releasing like a data set for you. Download the data in a in a uh, comma se- comma separated value uh, table. Um, now it's not super yeah. instructive, but that's that's new. That's cool, right? And I love- yeah. Well, and 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 in fact, I have previously basically digitized these histograms and then converted them myself. Mm. And it would have been a lot easier if they'd let me download the data. Absolutely. For sure. That is a giant, uh, again, in this outbreak, maybe not as important, but the fact that this is how they're going to, they're signaling, this is how they're going to do it now. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's starting, you know, they're not in the data set that I download. It just includes the date of posting and then the number of sick people. What I really want, and maybe this is in the timeline, Oh, because I didn't download that one. Um, is uh, chart data? Uh, no. See, I want I want both. I want them to merge both of these. I want to know when people got sick and from where, not the date of posting. But but anyway, that's me. But it's a good. It's a big step in the in the in the right direction. It's very it's very cool. Um, also, the my favorite part of if you download the um, the map uh, CSV file, it is entitled where sick people live. (laughs) Yes. That's great. It's a great. That's, that's, that's the title. That's the header on the webpage too. Yeah. Where where, sick people live. Where sick people live. You know, Don, you know where sick people live right now? Oklahoma and Arkansas. (laughs) Right. Right. But, but, but that's, but that is, that is about as few words that you can design that are accurate. Right. Because it's where they live. It's not, where they're hospitalized necessarily. Right. It's not where they got exposed necessarily, right? Right. It's their home addresses essentially. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a really, it's a it's a really good. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I mean, you know, again, and somebody really put some time into this, right? Um, you know, it, like how can we say this in as few words as accurately as possible? And also, let's not use let's not use uh, you know twenty five cent words if we don't have to, right? Let's right. let's 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 communicate in common language. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the more I pl- more I click around on this uh, web page, the more I like this, right? Like you, because you, if you click investigation details, it takes you to investigation details. But then, if you want to get back, you can go back. But you can also there that same that same link back to investigation notice. You just click the investigation notice, and you're back. So yes. It's just those same four things take you round and round. This is I. The more I the more I look at this, the more I like it. Yeah. No, I I th- I, I agree. I think they've done a really a really good job here. So, so oh, th- and another really good thing. Um. And maybe you talked about this fast facts recall. No investigation right. status active. active. That's, that's really good information. Yes. Right. I mean, right there in, in one, you know, one succinct chunk of text, illnesses, hospitalizations, deaths, states, recall status, investigation status. Yep. And, and a date, right. Posted February 2nd. I know what it is. Right. It is current as of right now. As of, as yeah. of yesterday. As yeah. of yesterday. <laughs> As of, as of some other yes, but it yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, good. So so I think what we're gonna do, Don, is we're gonna post this episode. The person who the the whole email uh, thread of hey, if you have uh, feedback on the uh, on our new template, please send it to us. And I'm just gonna send a link to the show note or show and say, well, from uh, fast forward to one hour and six minutes to one hour and seventeen <laughs> minutes, and you will get a lot of qualitative feedback. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Cool. Uh, what else? What else is? Uh, what else do you want to talk about? I haven't even looked at what do we have. Do we have any feedback? We got stuff uh, in the world of food safety news. What, I don't know. What do you want? Where are we going? 
Well, you know, I want to I want to talk. So this came in. We've got a bunch of good stuff that has come in for risky or not. And and we might do this as a risky or not episode. But I want to I want to kind of seed the discussion. Okay. Um, and so this this is uh, sent via the Risky or Not website, which is not this podcast. That's the other podcast, okay? Um, and it's from listener Mike. And 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 Mike, we will if you I don't know if you listen to Food Safety Talk, but we may eventually get to this on Risky or Not. But I don't feel equipped to answer right now, and and I think you'll see why in a minute, Ben, when I read the question to you. So this is a question for the show. Subject: European food at room temperature. I'm an American living in Spain, and I'm often shocked at how much food is kept out by shops at room temperature. Sandwiches, paella, lasagnas, tapas, fresh fruit, fresh cut fruit, etc. It's just sitting out at room temperature for who knows how many hours. It seems like a recipe for a lot of bacterial growth. It's not just Spain. I've noticed this in many other countries too. While I understand that if the turnover is high enough, it's not likely to sit out for hours, it seems like there is no guarantee that the workers will discard the old food before it becomes potentially dangerous and no way for the customer to tell if it's good. Is this practice perhaps not as risky as I was led to believe by my American upbringing? Is the rate of foodborne illness higher in some Western European countries than in the U.S.? Supposedly, the food safety laws are very strict here, so it just doesn't make sense. So... There's a lot to unpack cool. there, Ben. Do you do, is there? Do you want to? Do you see a way in? Is there some way you want to approach this? Yeah. So okay, let's let's go back to the list here. So we've got paella, we've got sandwiches, um, we've got cut fruit. Um, what what else? What else was in there? What, what was the other other food there? There was something else. Uh, let's see. Sa- sandwiches, paella, lasagnas, lasagnas, tapas, fresh cut fruit. Tapas. Yeah. Okay. So. So I'm going to throw the fresh cut fruit out because I don't think that that's not one I would I would have uh, a, a concern about. Uh, paella and and lasagna would be the the two and and it's like and I know that the the question is about in dishes like this right like like complex foods that have been cooked that are now held out at room temperature for an undetermined amount of time by the person who's purchasing it. I don't know like and this is. Th- th- this this might be like a whole other um, uh, investigation. Uh, the, the investigative arm of food safety talk needs to to, to uh, uh, complete. But I don't know how. Um, I know how how the U.S. looks at food that's held out uh, from a regulatory standpoint. But I, I'm really interested now on what happens in Spain. Like, what are the what are the rules? about holding that type of food out at room temperature. I think, and, and so the, the what we have here is four hours, right? A time as a public health control can put that on, slap that on the food that's that's out there. And that that's a, similar to our, our conversation about um, quinoa pinto uh, meatloaf, that that's a, 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 I would say a conservative, a, a science supported, but still conservative risk management decision that we apply to all foods. And some foods can be longer than that from a safety standpoint, and some might be a little shorter. But we we just kind of say, okay, let's go with let's go with four hours. And I wonder if things like paella, it, it, you know, thinking about um, uh, Bacillus cereus and um, Staph aureus and Clostridium perfringens, you know, these these foods that could grow and create a toxin. 
um, you know, survive the cooking process. Uh, I wonder if like four hours is just a little too quick. And I wonder if, if the sort of, okay, I'm going to put this out at lunch in, you know, and then if it's not sold by the end of dinner, you know, maybe we're looking at six or seven hours. If the risk is not even all that much greater than it was at four hours. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't know how the regulatory world looks at it in Spain or in, you know, Germany. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree. And I, I would, I would disagree with your cut fruit example, right? Oh. Because depending upon how long it's held, um, you, you may have a problem. Um, well, and it depends so, on the fruit. I, I'm, I'm thinking of right. cut fruit, like strawberry. I'd like, I'm, I'm thinking of these, high, the, uh, you know, uh, low pH fruits when I say cut fruit. But but maybe, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 thinking about modeling the growth of Listeria monocytogenes <laughs> on cut cantaloupe, honeydew, and watermelon right. by Daniluk et al. <laughs> yes, right, right, and that's that is a wonderful paper that I that I, I you know, when I was <laughs> when I was talking about my story arcs in my talks, the, there is a contour plot uh, uh, figure in that uh, paper that I use almost every time I talk about um, refrigerators. Uh, so I'm very familiar with that, with that paper, but, but uh, yeah. unfortunately that contour plot, I'm just looking at it now. Um, it only goes up to 10 degrees C, which is not room temperature. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but what, one of the other things we found is that, that we did validate the, uh, com base model. So that's, um, uh, that's, that's good news. Um, and so we could look at the, uh, com base model, um, and, and figure out how quickly you would get into trouble with listeria. And again, I, I'm less worried about listeria cause it's a relatively high dose pathogen. I'm more concerned with something like salmonella, which shouldn't be there to begin with, but if it is there, it would grow. And yeah. And so what we're really, what we really need is for those of you who are listening to this podcast, who are based in Western Europe, and there are a few of you. What can you tell us about rules for uh, holding TCS foods, foods that require time temperature control for safety, um, at room temperature, right? So again, we have uh, time as a public health control in the United States, and you can date those foods and, and timestamp those foods and then throw them out after four hours. What's the equivalent regulatory structure? In, and, it's, and it's going to be – it's not going to be a European regulation, right? This is going to be at local public health. It's going to be on a state uh, – on a, on a country-by-country basis. And in, in fact, it might even be on a state-by-state. I don't know enough about retail food safety in Europe. So if, if there's anybody out there – and I'm sure – actually, I'm sure there are people who listen to the show who know about retail food safety in Europe – um, who are in Europe and, and elsewhere that can, can weigh in on this. I just don't know enough to know what the regulations are, right? And so number one, it might be the regulations allow it. It might be that the regulations don't allow it, but they're not enforced, right? But it's a, it's a really interesting question. But, right. but I, I would say potentially, depending upon the foods involved, uh, potentially risky, right? Like I don't, I don't want my sandwich sitting out for more than four hours. Uh, I don't want my tapas or lasagna sitting out for more than four hours. Um, I don't want my fresh cut fruit sitting out for more than four hours. I want somebody to be managing that risk for me. Uh, paella too. Yeah. Right. And, and if you can give, give me the, – the other request that I put out there is tell us about um, – the burden of foodborne illness in Spain. Cause I don't, I don't know that either. Like, and, and it's not something that I've really investigated. I'm going to, we'll link to, um, 
uh, a, a WHO document that focuses on uh, this is uh, data from 2010. Um, and, and so there's a table. This is uh, here. Let me scroll up and tell you what this thing is. It's called the burden of foodborne diseases in the WHO European region. And I, I find just looking at this as we're talking about, is, there's a fascinating table. And I bet you one of our friends of the show and friends in real life, Mike, Michael Batts, Mike Batts, might know more about this than we do. Um, but anyway, he, uh, in, in this, cause, cause I know he does a lot of work on, on burden, but anyway, on this, if, if we look at, uh, table one leading causes of foodborne illness in the WHO European region by hazard, 2010, number one at the top of the list, norovirus, not a surprise. Number two, campylobacter, number three, uh, non-typhoidal salmonella enterica. Okay. Um, but then we get down the list and we're looking at Toxoplasma gondii, Giardia, Cryptosporidia, Shigatoxin producing E. coli, Hepatitis A, uh, Asarius, uh, Enteropathogenic E. coli. That's the top 10. You know what's not in the top 10, Don? Clostridium perfringens, which is in our top 10. Why is that? Is that that's kind of weird to me. Um, yeah. And well, and I, th- I thought Bacillus was more a problem than Europe. Yeah. In Europe. So I so anyway I'm I'm just glossing over this maybe this maybe they're only looking at vegetate I don't know now they got toxin I got some pa- I, what, where where are the oh there's Yersinia on here um so anyway I'm really interested why we don't see uh, some of those other other pathogens here in, in yeah and world. I would say look look yeah looking at number of cases and looking at the particular thing I, I'm not norovirus is not going to grow so we'll cross that one off yes campylobacter not really a problem in TCS foods um non typhoidal salmonella enterica maybe in the cut fruit right uh toxoplasma giardia crypto none of those are going to grow so those are all off the list um shigatoxin producing e coli yeah maybe uh, but yeah, it, you have to get pretty, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's anyway, it's weird. Yeah. This is, uh, this is weird. Definitely. Why don't, yeah. But why is there not like, I don't know. Why is there not clostridium perfringens in, uh, <laughs> in Europe? <laughs> well, it, it's there. It just doesn't rise to the level of causing illnesses apparently, or, you know, it doesn't rise to this, to this level. Yeah. Right. And it's one but of our, it seems like top. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Uh, um, almost a million cases of uh, uh, perfringens in the U.S. every year. Maybe we like we you know this is a, we like the gravy. We like the gravy here. They don't like the gravy. <laughs> all the perfringens. It's all from it, this is according to CDC. Uh, infection include meat, poultry, gravies, and other foods cooked in large batches. Maybe they're cooking their foods in the small batches. <sighs> I don't know. It's cra- crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. Good, good question. What else, what else do we have in the, in the world of feedback on? Um, well, so right now I got a, a message, um, from, uh, a, a, a spammer who's trying to get me to buy them gift cards. So I'm a little engaged with them right now. Um, it, it purports to come from the, uh, the president of our local NJAFP affiliate. And this is a scam that someone's run before. And it's new, it's new because the president just changed. And so they're, they're, they're trying again. I'm in a meeting right now, uh, as I would be working till late, but need you to get me some gift cards. Could you pick up a few eBay gift cards for me when I'm done with my meeting? I will reimburse you. So my answer is sure. Why do you need the cards? Yeah. And I like this. Well, yeah. 
I look for I look forward to the response. Yeah, happy to happy to do it. Could you come pick them up at my house? <laughs> on yeah, your exactly. Your meeting. Yeah. Exactly, because I know you live real close to me. Yeah, I'll leave them on the doorstep. Uh, come get them. Oh man, nice. Um, what else? Oh no, so th- there was something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and this is in. Let me let me uh, send you the uh, thing to this. So I, I read the um, I read the local the local rags in uh, in Canada mm-hmm. where I'm where I'm from. You know the mm-hmm. the newspapers, the the prints, the the uh-huh. fish fish wrap as it's known in some some parts of the world. <laughs> is that how it's known? Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I I was reading the the Peterborough Examiner. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, as mentioned earlier on, I, I live, I grew up close to Peterborough, Ontario in a town called Port Hope, Ontario. Um, so uh, what caught my eye of the Peterborough examiner, um, was the headline of subway ordered to pay Trent university $45,000. Why, why Don would subway not, not just like the subway system, but I, I, you know, and, and, and we'll read, uh, forward here in the article, but why would the Subway Corporation that makes Subway sandwiches uh, be suing Trent University? Well, it, it's there's a food safety angle to this. So I'll read from the from the article: a defamation lawsuit by the world's largest fast food operator against Canada's public broadcaster over a report on the chain's chicken sandwiches, based on testing done in Peterborough, can proceed. Ontario's top court um, has ruled. Okay, so in setting aside a ruling that dismissed Subway's $210 million suit without a hearing on its merits, the Ontario Court of Appeal ruled that the untested claim was far from frivolous and deserved thorough airing. Allowing this action to proceed to a determination on the merits gives appropriate weight to the public interest in seeing harm arising from the defamatory statements remedied and the public interest in protecting the type of expression in which CBC engaged, the appeal court said. So this all stems from a, um, a a TV show called Marketplace, and and I think you and I. Well, I was recently interviewed by Marketplace about um, grocery store food safety, and I think they reached out to you uh, about this as well, if if memory serves me correct. So it's a, it's a long standing um, uh, TV show. Uh, it, it, it's it's like a investigative TV show. Uh, they they have a a, a, a strong health reporter. Uh, portfolio. Actually, when I was in graduate school, was on Marketplace talking about um, coffee shop health inspection scores because uh, that was some of the research that I was doing. Um, anyway, the TV show Marketplace in 2017 asserted that about half the DNA in Subway Chicken was in fact, or yeah, was this is an odd sentence. Half the DNA in Subway Chicken was in fact chicken and the other half was soy. So there is soy DNA. The report was based on testing done at Trent University in Peterborough. A subway expert on DNA methods and food testing said the tests were seriously flawed and their results inaccurate. It maintained its own test found no more than 1% soy. Subway sued Marketplace uh, and others who worked on the show. It also sued Trent for defamation and negligence. Uh, the company argued the program was false. Um, CBC argued in Superior Court the defamation suit, you know, was w- ran afoul of a so-called anti-slap legislation, which I'm not going to click on that. I don't know what it is, uh, but it bars legal action, which the pur- purpose is to shut down discussion of issues. 
Um, so uh, Subway was to pay CBC $500,000 in legal costs and another $178,000 in, in uh, fees and disbursements. But then also um, uh, Trent University would uh, – so uh, the, the uh, in appeal court – um, there was, there was a claim, um, that was rejected that Subway, um, Subway's negligence claim against Trent could proceed. The appellate court set aside $220,000. Trent had to pay Subway instead ordered the company to pay the school $45,000 for the cost of the appeal. So blah, blah, blah. That, that, so here, here's the thing that I think is interesting and it made me, why I wanted to read this. You know, I I don't have a laboratory. It, it, you have a laboratory. There are times where we get contacted by TV shows to do stuff like this, right? Like, c- could you um, take, you know, I, I think f- maybe not famously, but the one that came to mind is you and I had a conversation, uh, I think, with like Entertainment Tonight or some like news media about McDonald's. Not McDonald's, like milkshakes and Listerian milkshakes, and they wanted us. You know, I think if the the email string, um, if I remember correctly, they wanted one of us to like go and buy a bunch of milkshakes and test it for Listeria, mm-hmm. right? So this these things come up. I never really thought about. I I, I wouldn't do that stuff because I think it's like well, number one, I don't have a lab to do it in. Number two. I, I'm, I'm always pushing back and saying, I don't think it's telling you what you think it's telling you, El Guapo. Right, right. Um, There's a, a reference to the Three Amigos. Uh, and uh, but, but also, I never really thought about if I did this testing, this could lead to someone suing the university for defamation, which is not a game I really want to get into. Now, turns out that the, in, in an appeal that, that it was, you know, not not rec- it, it, they were not able to sue or, or recoup those those funds for defamation, but it still seems like a really big headache. So so anyway, that's a long preamble to this whole thing. But what are your what are your thoughts on first of all testing Subway food for chicken DNA, and secondly, why, this this idea of like oh man, I don't maybe I don't really want to get involved in in something that could be really litigious that I'm only on the outskirts of. Yeah. So my, my, and you've sort of alluded to this already. My standard response to these sorts of things is yes, we have a testing lab, but believe me, you don't want me to test this for you, right? Like my lab, we're good at doing research. Um, but, um, we are not, uh, we don't, we don't have, it's not that we don't have, it's not that we don't have good practices in our lab, but we don't have good laboratory practices, right? (laughs) Like, which is a specific thing that you need. We don't use AOAC approved methods, right? Like if you, if you wanted to go to court, my, the methods we use in my lab would not stand up in court. We are a research lab. We're not a contract lab. And so what I always say to these companies is, look, if you want to do this, you go hire a private lab. <clears throat> now, what the private lab won't do is they won't come on camera and talk about what the results mean, right? Right. And again, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this as a food safety person. Now, this is a little weird because I'm not an expert on chicken DNA or chicken protein or soy protein. And so that's outside my area of expertise. But if I was a a food fraud person or an analytical chemist person who had confidence and knowledge of the analytical techniques, I would 
again, I still wouldn't do the analysis in my lab, but I would certainly be happy to talk on camera about it and what it means. Um, because if I'm doing that in my professional capacity as a, a university person and not on a consulting situation, um, I'm protected by the university, right? The university has lawyers that will protect me. I've got to, what I've got to do is I've got to make sure that I stick to the science, right? And just talk about what the science says and not get into, you know, uh, some sort of expose on, on whether this is right or wrong or whatnot. I'm just going to talk about the science. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I think this is interesting. I think, I mean, I appreciate investigative journalism. I'm I'm not sure that this is maybe the best use of investigative journalism. But on the other hand, if if Subway really is indeed selling chicken sandwiches that are not chicken, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, so half the DNA in Subway chicken was in fact chicken, and the other half soy. That's a very that's a weird statement, right? right? It's a weird – like – and I think that was where I, – I remember reading about this back in 2017. Well, we, we may have even talked yeah. about it. Like the yeah. quantification of what that even means, right? Like that – that what what do you what do you mean half the DNA? Like, yeah, yeah. like, like – like, uh, like chicken, chicken is is mostly not DNA, <laughs> right? Right, and right, and soy so, yeah, mostly it, not. Is DNA. it possible that you? Yeah, exactly. And we're actually we're doing some work with uh, with a company uh, that has some of these these uh, DNA sequencing. Uh, uh, technologies, and we're we're testing it. We're looking at foods that are we've we've sampled for microorganisms in university dining halls, and it's really interesting because you do occasionally find. And again, this is the same company, not this company, but the same company that um, found, uh, I guess, human DNA and hot dogs and stuff, right? Um, and so it's it's an interesting technology, and it, it's only we're only going to get more of this. But it doesn't surprise me that Subway Chicken has soy DNA in it because if you have fillers or if you have components, subcomponents. And again, I used, you just well, texted me about yeah. tuna, right? And so anyway. Well, and, and the thing like, and without getting the particulars too much of it, how, how did you remove the chicken from the bun? Right. Like, like, how do you know, right. like, right. did you just right. order the chicken? Like, anyway, so, so the thing that, that I, why, why I wanted to like, why I saw this and thought about it, it was like, yeah, it's in the Peterborough newspaper and it's Trent university, which is probably the first ever university I went to visit because it was close to my house. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but this, um, so I, we have, you know, we, we know folks at, at subway and they're, they're like. Subway seems to have a big target on their head with stuff. And there was an article in the Washington Post this week about a lawsuit being filed against Subway for tuna not being tuna. And, 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 it, it, you know, I, I, when you're, I, you know, I guess when you're the, when you're the biggest, people are going to take, take aim at you and prove, make you, and they're like thinking about the food safety folks there that we know now, now all of a sudden, a lot of their time is going to be focused on food, you know, disproving food fraud allegations. Um, and yeah. right. And, and keep, and keep in mind, like Subway doesn't make any of this chicken, right? right. Subway has contractors. They, they have people, suppliers and they have multiple suppliers. Right. And so what is likely to happen, I think if there, if there is indeed wrongdoing, um, Subway is just going to turn around and sue their supplier. Yeah. Right. And, and in fact, if the, the lawsuit, if the lawsuit is if the lawyers knew what they know what they're doing, they're going to sue everybody, right? They're going to sue the suppliers as well. If if they're, but again, it's not like a Bill Marler food poisoning thing where you have. It's more like misleading misleading the consumer. But anyway, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, but but again, so I think Subway, and then again, the question comes: Well, okay, so Subway is going to turn around and sue their supplier. Um, what system did Subway have in place to ensure that their suppliers wouldn't cheat them? And you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing that's like, you know, crazy about, uh, or just, I mean, difficult about all of these things. So I'll, I'm going to read from the Washington Post story about the tuna. Um, the star ingredient, according to the lawsuit, is, is quote, made from anything but tuna. It's, it's very good writing. Um, based on the independent tests of, quote, multiple samples taken from subway locations in California, the, quote, tuna is a mixture is a quote, a mixture of various concoctions that do not constitute tuna, yet have been blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna. So so it doesn't, and, and this is one of the things that I, I, I've learned in because of our uh, because of talking with Bill Marler and, and sort of following lawsuits, you certainly can sue for whatever you want, right? Oh, right? for sure. And and so here's a here's a situation of I I think and I've got some information on on my side of things that says you you're selling me something that's not tuna. I'm going to sue you for that. Um, but you might not. You you, you got to have data if you're going to win. Maybe right? Like you're more likely uh, to to lose if it's if it's not based on any sound science. And and so. You know, uh, it, it's it, it, when you're when you're as big as Subway or you're as big as McDonald's or Burger King or you know name the name the the place. Um, you're gonna have a target, and you, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're constantly dealing with lawsuits like this. I and we we're not seeing them all the time, right? Like like this is uh th- there's a good uh public relations behind fi- whoever filed this lawsuit, but but I'm like I'm sure this has got to be like an ongoing battle for. Um, for many food companies, and yeah, it's. I mean, I, well, and when and when this the, this fern this this tuna thing came to light, yeah, not necessarily in this article, but you know, people have sued Subway because their foot long sandwiches are not a foot long, right? I mean, so. <laughs> You know, there, you can always sue somebody, and and I'm hoping that I mean I'm not hoping. I mean, you know, I I like a subway sandwich. We have we have friends. We don't. I think we don't think we know anybody that works there now, but we've had friends that work there, and they're they're you know they're perfectly fine company. You know, hey, I I um, I'll, I'll give a shout out. I got a I got a friend who works there now. Uh, uh, oh, cool. K- yeah, Katya Noel. She's she's quoted in the um in the Washington Post story. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, she's. Oh, uh, is she is she. Oh, yeah. She says uh, our restaurants receive pure tuna, mix it with mayonnaise, and serve it. Up on a freshly made sandwich to our guest. Yeah, yep, look yep. at that, Katya. Yep, go yep. for it. So yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that. That's the thing I, I think about. I, I I just think about how one of you know, and this is this is the hard part about about being in 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 the world of food safety for a big company. Um, I I know like her her job's about protecting food safety, and and you're doing an oh, uh, but. Yeah. yeah. Now she's dealing with this, right? Like, like yep. it just takes away from, from the, the, uh, the real risks that are out there. So, um, yeah, tough, tough stuff. Um, so yeah. Uh, so one more, one more thing that I had in here that I wanted you to talk. I, I and I, I don't know if you looked at this, but, uh, I was, I was really on top of figuring out how to take stuff off of my iPad and put it into, <laughs> um, things that I wanted to talk to you about this, this oh, week. Good. I'm getting good better for you. at this. Yeah. So, good. um, so, so here's a, an article um, that is. Uh, oh, I can't, of course I can't. Uh, I will find the actual article because there's a pop up that's over top of what it's called. Um, is from Well and Good, which is a website. 
that uh, lists uh, cleaning hacks. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure who owns Well and Good, but it looks like it might be. Um, there's, there's someone. There's they're selling stuff. That's they they hawk things out there, but they also uh, do news to help you um, learn about uh, things that they're hawking. That's that's my guess here. Yeah. Um, well, and, and thanks. And I have to give a shout out to the amazing tech sniper. So let's just once again say if you have not downloaded and are using uh, text sniper, which is one of the amazing, I mean, there's lots of good apps that have text as the first part of the name, like text uh, expander is also very good, but text sniper is amazing. What text sniper lets you do, it costs $6.99 on the Mac app store. Just go give him your effing money. Um, it lets you basically take a picture of something on your screen and turn it into text. I use this now multiple times a day. It's an amazing app. And I, and the, the, the image that you sent to me, Ben, I just did a screen cap. And so now I've found uh, the article at well and good entitled your dish mat, your dish drying mat is star loaded star with bacteria. Here's what to use instead. According to Guess what, Ben? A microbiologist. Yeah, this is this is my favorite. So anyway, the, I remember well and good, and this is was part of the story. I they have reached out to me a bunch of times, and, and they're like, "You have a great website, like you know, you get those things. Could you yep. could you be um, uh, part of our 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 network of websites, and we'll put our we'll put put our badges on your site, and you'll put our badges on on your their site, and I'll." <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll be bad. Anyway, they're fully owned by, you know what I, you know what I say to that, Ben? I, I don't. What do you say? Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> uh, all right. So well and good is, is owned by someone called leaf group, which is formerly demand media. And it's an American content company. I, what, what do you own? What, what do you guys make? We, we buy and sell content. We're making content over here, Don. <sighs> Uh, they operate brands including eHow, Livestrong.com, and marketplace brands such as Sachi Art and Society Six. So they're like, uh, they're good at buying and selling content. Uh, and I remember looking into this because they're also really good at targeting people to say, could you be part of our content? So anyway, they have, they've got some content, cleaning hacks. Your dish drying mat, uh, and I'm just going to read it again because it's amazing. Your dish drying mat is loaded with bacteria. And here's what to use instead, according to a microbiologist. Uh, Dawn, Dawn, Dawn. Not unlike your bacteria-covered bath mat, which, of course, well and good is covered in a previous article. Uh. Your dish drying mat is totally gross. It's true. Just because your dishes are freshly washed doesn't mean bacteria isn't lurking. Quote, even in, this is the, here we go. Even after cleaning, Don, there may be enough bacteria to support growth, as these mats tend to be damp and huh? kept in warm places, says microbiologist Jason Tetro, author of The Germ Files. <sighs> Fortunately, antibacterial. Oh, Don, there's a solution. You, you, you can get something that Well and Good is telling me about. Fortunately, antibacterial dish drying mats solve this problem. Uh, uh, okay. It gets it gets better, Don. While most <laughs> while most of the bacteria found in your dish drying mat is harmless. Okay, good, good. Okay. It's not uncommon to find more nefarious pathogens. Quote, Don. Studies have found salmonella. End quote. <laughs> okay. I, uh, oh wait, now if you if you do a right click, or, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a that's a, a Barry Michaels publication. Hold on, let me. Yep. Reducing transmission of infectious agents in the home, part two, control points. 
So now we got to go. I, I didn't do this. Let's go find that paper. PDF. Well, it's it's yeah, it's it's a Barry Michaels paper. Um, I don't think he listens to the show, but it's it's probably doesn't have data on salmonella. Mats. Um, it's not only doesn't have data on salmonella, Don. Mats are not not contained in the paper. Salmonella. Yeah, and and it's oh, and it's a PDF. Yeah, there uh, is. It does list salmonella. It, it's published in DFES, which is the precursor to Food Protection Trends, which is what I would have guessed. The, oh, actually, no. It's my. It's a Mike Doyle paper. All right. Well, so Barry Michaels and and among others amongst and also Mike Doyle. Um. So what did they do? They. It's a review article. Yep. And it's they, not. All right. In, so anyway, in two thousand, uh, Salmonella appears in here a couple of times and says. Insect pests have been implicated in transmitting the home in, in the home microbial pathogens, responsible for a small number of outbreaks of foodborne illness. They list salmonella in a bunch of uh, spots, but around insects, they say that children should wash their hands because um, they might have handled reptiles or amphibians. Those things have salmonella on it, um, and that literally, Don, are the, is the only time you see salmonella in the. Um, in the paper. Oh, increased antibiotic resistance has been documented, uh, salmonella. So it turns out, um, the, just, you know, finding the word salmonella, uh, in the paper or in the, in the article from well and good, uh, which is on uh. leaf does not tell us anything about salmonella. So it just well, says, Ben, Ben, yeah. studies have found salmonella. I mean, we've done studies where we found salmonella in some foods where we put salmonella. And we found it later. So you uh, you find you find salmonella Ben, in studies. <laughs> salmonella salmonella's in studies. Uh, then then about one in five dish drying mats have had levels, I guess, of salmonella or just levels high enough to potentially transfer and spread pathogens. That's it. Yeah, so, well, you know, uh, I guess you could buy a seventy-five dollar dish pad, or you could buy a sixteen dollar. You know, I like OXO. I would, I would, I would, I would buy a sixteen dollar dish dish mat made of silicone from OXO. That's that looks like a nice mat. What? How about this, Don? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be a ra- I'm just a, you know, I'm a I'm an outside of the box thinker. I'm I'm radical. Uh, I don't care what kind of dish mat you have. Why don't you just wash it with soap and water after you dry your stuff? <laughs> Doesn't need to be antibacterial, does it? Well, I mean, you if you want one that's that's got that's seventy five dollars, uh, you can. There's a link on Well and Good, and which we've now been spending some fair bit of time promoting. Yeah, true. Uh, I guess well, about define promoting though. I mean, yeah. we're not really promoting it. To fix the problem, ditch your regular dish dry mat for one of the many antibacterial options on the market. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I I don't think so. Yeah, you know, anyway. Yeah, it's germs, Ben, germs. They're everywhere, Don. Bacteria, they're everywhere. Bacteria, <laughs> they're everywhere. Jonathan Colton says in the song. <laughs> uh, this ridged mat is unique that it rests right over the edge of your sink, allowing the water to drip off. That also ensures no water is sitting around allowing bacteria to grow. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Ben. You can get bacteria in your kitchen, um, and and it comes in situations where you have food and moisture, like in sponges, right? And you could get it in your dish mat as well, um, especially if you're washing a lot of dishes in your house because you bought a house without a dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, right, right. As you, see, and maybe that's what I was thinking when I when I put this into uh, our topic list here was oh. that you you know dishwasher dawn here. 
Um, we, have, we have literally the dishwasher. I, I, my wife washes more dishes than I do, but I did do some last night. So, you know, I have an actual dish mat. I guess I could culture it for bacteria. And then I, maybe, I, maybe if I found salmonella, I could write a paper. Well, yeah, or you could just write a paper about salmonella. Full stop. <laughs> then you could do then, – then you could confirm one in five dish drying mats having levels high enough to potentially transfer and spread pathogens. Well, yeah. I, yeah, anyway, there's, there's a lot wrong with this, but – yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. I think that's a show, by the way. I don't know how we, uh, you know, I, unless there's something well, else that you wanted to talk about. I, I don't know about you, Ben. I got to go buy some gift cards for, I, for the president <laughs> of my association. <laughs> you get, get your gift cards. I, maybe suggest to the president that those gift cards would be best spent on uh, antibacterial dish mats. And I think we can call it a day. <laughs> I'll, I, you know what? I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> You should link now that you're trolling this this scammer. I think you should link this well and good paper or this well and good article and say, "Oh, I'm so glad you've asked about these these gift cards. I think we should spend them on this and and see where just you know keep the keep it going." Scams. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of bored with it. And mostly right now, my problem is trying to figure out how to open the email headers in Outlook. So because if, if I'm going to report a, a spammer to Gmail, I've got to send them the message headers. So oh, excellent. that's excellent. my challenge at the moment. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Don, as always, great to great to catch up and chat. Uh, and uh, well, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. I got a, a not a ton of titles, but I got some, and I got all of the show notes I, links. I, so, um, I have five titles. Um, oh, one more than me. Uh, and I'm going to listen for you, just so you know. I know five McMurrays. <laughs> nominally hungover. Where, where sick people live, and dishwasher dawn. All right. Well, I got I got five Americans to talk about a Canadian thing. I know McMurray. Uh, speaking of Todd Vaziri, which we shouldn't use because yeah, right, that wouldn't be good. No. Um, and then quick, cheap, done right. You pick two. <laughs> These are good. All right. Yeah. I, I'm trying to like capture because you always do such a good job of capturing those. I I go back. I think I've told you. I like usually listen um, to like uh, once the the audio files 
um, edited, I'll go like skip forward and listen and hear if we've laughed at all and be like, yeah. oh, let's see what it said. But this time I was I was doing it as we went along. Uh, cool. Okay. So uh, today is February 3rd. What does um, – uh, so two weeks from now, I'm, I'm certainly able to uh, record a podcast on uh, at Wednesday the 17th of February if it's in the morning, like 9 a.m. till 11 a.m. Right. Uh, 17th, you said? 17th, yes. That would be two weeks from today. Yeah. So um, I – I'm. I've got a meeting from ten to eleven, that so that's gonna. Yeah, that's not gonna work. Um, I am. What What does your and it's a not always your your best day, but what does your Friday look like on the nineteenth? I'm free in the morning. Oh, perfect! I'm wide open before two. Okay, great. So ten. Sure, and we get, we have drinks that night. We do, yeah, yeah. That would be great. Let's see, thirty, I think. Um, yeah. So we'll go nine. Or sorry, what did I say? Ten. Yeah, ten. Ten is fine. Ten's great for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I don't even. I'm I'm having trouble like functioning before nine in any like <laughs> other than like getting kids up for their class and into class and doing IT and all that kind of stuff. So like I'm I'm feeling like ten o'clock for me is like I'm in. I'm basically living the left the West Coast life on this one. <laughs> like ten a.m. Eastern time means I would be nice and early in the West Coast. <laughs> Right. If I worked for a company that that met at seven a.m. Uh, Pacific time, um, which I don't. Uh, okay. Cool. Uh, I, breaking news. Um, uh, I, I you have to buy some gift cards. <laughs> no, no. I you you're taking care of the gift cards for me and the president. Uh, CFP. This is uh, breaking oh, news. Yes. Biannual biennial meeting to go totally virtual. It will not yep. be in person. Yeah, I saw that. Um, oh, speaking of which, April um, third. Oh yeah, team? for the workshop. Yeah. yeah, are you able to? Do, did I already ask you this? You did not, but I saw the message that the the workshops were staying the same. Yes, they were staying those dates. Um, what are the dates? So it's going to oh. be the third. It's it's a a one hour webinar. Um, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the, the yeah. like 13th, 14th and 15th, are yep. you, are you able to, to do, if I send you, cause I, I've got you scheduled, let me pull up, um, one of those days and, and we really right. could go with any of those days for you. I think I've got you scheduled the first day and essentially what's going to happen is we're going to get, um, three minute talks from, uh, that we're going to have people record so we can edit them. Um, from, uh, people talking about, uh, edible cannabis and, uh, talking about, uh, lab printed 3d meats and other foods and a, a couple other new food things. And then I, just like I, I pumped you up for earlier, I want you to kind of like tell the story on how you would assess risk of those for like 20 minutes. Yeah, sure. Cool. So what time? Uh, so it'll be, um, that's a great question. It will be so. I, what I would love is, if it was at noon to one Eastern time uh, on April thirteenth. 
Yep, that's fine. Perfect. Okay, good. And then I gotta confirm some others, but you were and so so yeah, uh, edible cannabis, three D printed foods, lab grown meats, and edible insects. And and we've got folks that are gonna do this. Like, here's what you need to know about what we're doing in three minutes about it. And how will I have those in advance? Yes. Yeah, because I'm we're, we'll have them by the end of March, so you can view those and then construct your talk. We also um, probably want you to record yours, and then we'll do a panel discussion live. That sounds fit. That sounds fine. Cool. But more more info on that uh, now to that come. everybody confi- yep. confirmed. Cool. Yep. Awesome. All right. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.